Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. After 30 years as a wife and a mother, an empty nester retreats to Cape Cod rather than follow her relocated husband to Kansas. Intent to rediscover herself, but plagued with guilt, she questions her decision until stumbling upon a a spirited mentor, supported by her literary agent and a host of locals, including a sexy fisherman, a heroine, learns to embrace the ebb and flow of life, ultimately discovering the balance between self and sacrifice, obligation and desire. And that is the setup, that is the story behind Year by the Sea, and the director and writer and composer of the film. It's an unusual combination. Is We're honored to have joining us today here on Film School, and that would be Alexander Janko. Alexander, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Appreciate it. Been looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much as well. Well, it is, um, for those who don't know, um, this is based on a very popular book, Year by the Sea. I would just wondering, as a filmmaker, moving forward and, and adapting something that is this popular, and obviously a lot of scrutiny is going to be brought to bear on whatever it is you do in, in your decision-making with the film. Um, tell us a little bit about those challenges and how you got involved as uh, the writer and director for this film. Sure. Um, so I'll start with the, the perennial challenge of adapting a literary work uh, to a film work. Um, there's always that pre-existing audience, you know, it's a beloved book, and they have a, a vivid uh, imagination and picture in their mind of what the story is. So you're always, the, the first challenge is always, am I going to do justice, you know, to the book? Mm-hmm. And then there's there's technical challenges. Um you typically need to composite characters. Um, you know, in, in a film, you can track maybe three or four, maybe half a dozen. In a book, you can have countless. Mm-hmm. And timelines, you definitely have to compress. It's very difficult uh, on film to have multiple years go by, not just because it's difficult to age your actors, and not everybody has the luxury of taking 10 years to make a movie <laughs> as everybody ages. Yes. Um, so those are sort of like the two big technical challenges. But then you have sort of the creative choices. Um, and a book like Jones, which is so beautifully written with this wonderful sort of internal monologue and a very literary prose, that doesn't necessarily translate to film dialogue or the classic show-don't-tell conundrum. Mm-hmm. So I was challenged uh, with coming up with creative ways to sort of build an image system around the story you know her book of course it's a year by the sea so it's very it's it's very sort of tone poemed towards the ebb and flow of the water and she makes a lot of uh, references to and even the book's kind of gridded to high tides and low tides and rip tides and ebb tides Mm -hmm. so i immediately knew from reading it that that would be compelling visually if we could shoot on cape cod which we were uh, fortunate enough to be able to do so I've always said the Cape is just as much a character, the, the seascape um, is just as much a character in the film as our actors are. And I tried to the best of my ability to create a lot of visual metaphors 
and a lot of image systems. Um, don't want to give too many spoilers away. Yeah. But th- there are things that are new to the book. There are things that are um, sort of uh, not a departure from, but maybe, you know, it's the classic, you get to stand on the shoulders of giants. So there's a lot of stuff that, that uh, Joan did that I just got to do a little bit more of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think generally the response, um, at least on the festival circuit and our test runs in Florida and on Cape Cod, has been overwhelmingly positive. Mm-hmm. Um, people who love the book have really embraced the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge sigh of you know relief and a real vote of confidence for the work that we did together. Because the blessing of doing an independent film is that we were able to keep Joan involved in the process from beginning to end. And she's still part of the process now as we move into distribution. So it's not like we just went and you know, made a deal, got the rights, and then said, see you later. <laughs> and right. um, so every step along the way, I told her from the beginning, if, if, if it doesn't ring true to you and to your story, we won't do it. Um, so I, I, I feel fortunate about that. And it's kind of a magical mystery. Um, I always say in our Q&As at the movie, the book chose me. Mm. Um, I did not choose this book. Mm. I literally came home one day from swimming at the YMCA and on my kitchen counter was this jacketless, mildewy, <laughs> dusty book. And I had no idea where it had come from. I, I had no idea why it was there. I was just boiling a cup of tea and I picked it up and the first sentence, Joan's opening line is, the decision to separate seemed to happen overnight. And it just hooked me. And I was at a personal and a professional crossroads. Um, I had just recently left Hollywood, was trying to figure out which direction I wanted to take my career. I, of course, had a lot of um, great fortune and success in uh, on the music side of things, and I've worked in a lot of studio films, but I was really seeking and yearning to expand my, my creative vision. And Joan's book was the first book that I read that I could not just hear, the story, mm-hmm. which is, you know, typically what happens for a musician is you, you tend to, you're orally based, but it was the first time I could see it and I could taste it and I could smell it. And just, it was this whole smorgasbord of creative senses. And I just had this overwhelming uh, sense or need or calling or whatever it was. It was the, it was the clarion call, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe the siren. It was very seductive um, to make this book into a feature film when and you, it was just well, sorry, please, yeah. no please go ahead well it was just it was just so ironic because i was literally standing 15 minutes away from joan's literary agent and i didn't know this i, I tracked her down <laughs> uh, liv bloomer and it turns out that she was in conway massachusetts that weekend <laughs> and i just begged and pleaded for her to meet with me um, <laughs> to have a, a coffee for 15 minutes because you know, I, I had no studio behind me. I had no financing. I had all I had was my passion for the story. Mm-hmm. And gratefully, she said yes. And then a couple of weeks later, they um, set up an appointment for me to meet with Joan. And it was it was sort of fast and furious after that because Joan and I hit it off immediately. Um, I was only allotted forty five minutes and wound up spending twelve hours with her oh, out my, on the Cape. My yeah. And by the end of it, she said, "Let's do it." Oh. Well, when you say as a musician, you read the book and you're, 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 you were describing your aural sort of mm. attachment to the film, 
were you hearing a was there a rhythm to the story was there something lyrical about the characters and their and their sort of development their their arc of their story because the film has a has a in all films that are good films they have mm. a rhythm to them they have a certain caden- mm. cadence i would call it even mm. um mm-hmm. is that something mm-hmm. that you when you talk you described it as hearing this is that what you were hearing or was it this the, the or was it the the characters themselves? It was one more in in terms of that. It's it's very much, um, very much like it's just so beautifully and so aptly put, which is a cadence. Um, so often people think that music is about melody and harmony, which it is um, for sure. Those are elements of it. But when you talk about music for film, I've discovered over my career now. Uh, that you can almost write anything for a scene, but if it doesn't fit the inherent beat of that moment, um, it won't work. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it, it all has to do with, if, if, if you take it back to the writing process, the, the writer is writing with a particular beat, and then the actors are you know, performing with a particular you know, cadence or tempo and beat. And then the cinematographer, if he's doing any camera moves, is, is, is going to a certain tempo. And, you know, the director's sort of, you know, writing, you know, sort of guiding this whole thing. And then you get into the editing room and you're trying to find frames here or there to shave or to add to, to maintain this, this beat. And so it, it's, it really is true that there's a certain kind of tempo. And, you know, some films are designed to be very fast and furious and, sure. and energetic and, you know, full of, you know, thrills. Um, and then some films are the exact opposite of that, which certainly this one falls into that category, which is just a moment to breathe. And for me, it was really about the tides. And it was really about allowing there to be moments for the tides to recede mm-hmm. and moments for the tides, you know, to come in. And so if you were to look at the... If, if you were to sort of map out this film like an, on a on a grid, it would sort of be like a stock market grid. It mm-hmm. would hopefully it would hopefully be always rising. You know that would be the general trend of it. Mm-hmm. But it's constantly going up and down and up and down and up and down. And we tried to have you know moments of of height and then moments of depth and then you know moments of levity and then moments of seriousness and moments of laughter and then moments of tears and. Mm-hmm. That really is a wave. And the, the way that Joan wrote the book was in waves. The way that I read it and responded it to it was waves. I, I love water. I love swimming. Um, that's, my, that's my home. If, if, if I'm not in the studio creating, you know, I'm in the water. Mm-hmm. And, um, and salt, you know, the thing about the Cape, too, is that foamy, frothy, salty, you know, water. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I, I would definitely say that This film, it was interesting, a lot of people, uh, especially men who have responded to the movie, you know, in the first 10 or 15 minutes, they were sort of wondering if they should just, you know, leave because it was, you know, they were worried it was going to be a chick flick or something. And we've had so many people say, you know, they're glad that they stayed and that that it's it's a life flick is the word that a lot of people are saying. And, you know, although we're an independent film, we're not really edgy. Um, like a lot of independent films are thought to be, 
Right. And, uh, or, you know, there's, there's sort of like art house, there's smart house. A lot of people have been saying we're heart house. Oh, there you, you know, we're kind of a, it's a feel good film. It's, yeah. it really is about, um, embracing the beauty and the, and the positive of life, um, in a very sort of reflective way. I, I agree with that, uh, assessment that, that sort of, you don't like to, I don't like to pigeonhole films, but I think that works. It is a, mm. it is a heart house <clears throat> kind of a film and we remind our listeners we're speaking with alexander janko and he's the writer director and composer of the film year by the sea the tag to the film is it's never too late to reclaim your life and it is about sort of i don't know if we call it the second half or the third quarter or of people's lives whatever that you know whatever mm. that might be but um it is a film with a with a rhythm to it it's it is not the you're right what you said i couldn't agree more it's not an edgy you know mm-hmm. nail-biting kind of indie film mm-hmm. uh and, mm-hmm. and for for some people who are going to go to see this film and by the way it's opening here in los angeles uh september 15th at the uh, lemley playhouse uh theater in um uh, pasadena and help me out the other two. I'm sorry. It's the uh, Town Center in Encino and the Royal in West L.A. That's right. It is a film that you kind of, it's it's a comfortable film to watch. <clears throat> I mean, it, <clears throat> even though it does have, it's definitely, there's some emotional ups and downs as you described them. But it's also a film that, you, yeah, just kind of enveloping warmness to it that, that, that is from from the very beginning. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the cast, which is quite good, uh, including Karen Allen, who, for me personally, I haven't seen her in anything in a while. I don't know what she's done of late, to be honest with you, but people who don't, who kind of know the name but don't maybe uh, know what she's done. She's certainly, she, boy, what a run she has in the, in the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Animal House, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Starman, Glass Menagerie, Scrooge, Sandlot, mm-hmm. Perfect Storm, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, et cetera, et cetera. And then sort of has dropped off. And I, I don't know if by design or if by, you know, the old Hollywood axiom of if you're, you know, as, as actresses age, they don't get the work. But uh, she's, mm-hmm. she's wonderful mm-hmm. in this film. And it's good to see her again. I just, she's such a bright personality she was uh she was and she remains a very wonderful kind of presence in the film and obviously kind of the the catalyst for so much of what happens in the film um dare to say she's in almost every scene i think oh yeah like 95 percent yeah yeah so she had a tough schedule yeah no she did and and she handled it well and uh, again it's good to see her i don't know that we necessarily have to get into the twos and fros of hollywood uh, to explain her absence but it's good to see her again and uh then the other people at uh, yannick bison who plays kind of uh, the, the song bison yeah. pardon me thank you yeah. yeah and then help me out again s uh, Epitha Murkison, who we've yeah, seen. Yeah, Epitha Murkison, um, who seen. everybody knows and loves, is Lieutenant Ben Buren of Law and Order. There now you go. She's on <laughs> Chicago Med. <laughs> and then we should just back up for a second. Y- Yannick Bassan, who's not known that well in the States, he's a huge star in Canada. He's in this show that's in its 11th season called Murdoch Mysteries. Thank you. Um, which uh, people love to see on, I think it's Ovation and Netflix in okay. the States. So, yeah. yeah, and he's quite, he's quite again, a, sort of another character in the film who is... Mm-hmm. Has a warming effect when when mm-hmm. the character uh, of Joan Anderson is going through a lot of travails. 
he is a kind of a lifeline for her and, for, and mm-hmm. sort of, uh, mm-hmm. provides her with some advice that she mm-hmm. she takes to heart, mm-hmm. which is nice. It's a very nice character. Everyone in here, Michael Christopher is also, he plays the the husband mm-hmm. uh, uh, of uh, Joan. And then we have Celia em- Emery, am I saying that? Emery. Emery. Yeah, Emery. Who's quite the, uh, she's quite her own catalyst in the film as well. She really provides a lot of uh, the fireworks and, and it gives Joan an opportunity to uh, re- reset, hit the reset button mm-hmm. in her own life. So she's mm-hmm. terrific in the film. Mm-hmm. So uh, casting, mm-hmm. let's get into the casting a little bit and, and your decision sure. uh, and, 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 and Karen Allen as well. So Yeah, well, it was, it was a fascinating process. Um, we were very fortunate that Pat McCorkle, who's a delightful uh, human being, but also a phenomenal casting director in New York, fell in love with the script. And uh, she has access to top-tier talent that are legit thespians. So they're classically trained uh, stage actors as well as film actors. So everybody in the movie um, does a lot of lot of stage and legit. Um, Michael Christopher, ironically, was the first to come aboard. Um, he is a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer-director in his own right. Um, and he really felt that there was something about the script and something about the character Robin that needed a backbone and needed, you know, something. He, 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 he loved to say that he did it to make sure that Robin had equal voice in the movie. <laughs> um, but once he came aboard, it was sort of it sort of set the bar for the kind of actors that we were seeking. And uh, quickly, um, everybody else showed up. And I mean, truly, as, as you said, I mean, Karen has this beautiful, effervescent, you know, just radiant. Her, 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 her joie de vivre, and and from inside out, she's still so young. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. And the minute that she walked in the door, and the minute that she smiled, um, I could instantly tell that she, you know, was our Joan, and she and Joan hit it off. Um, in real life and spent countless hours together talking about life and talking about Joan's journey. And to your point, it's it's actually apropos for all of our actors, uh, and in this specific case, our actresses. There is something about this business, and I think there's something about our culture at large. Um, You know, ageism uh, is not just uh, isolated to the film business. It's definitely magnified in the film business. But all three of these women um, are, are wonderful, beautiful human beings and incredibly talented uh, gals. But it was there was this sort of dry spell in this dry period. In, in Karen's uh, case, she actually very much like Joan's story. She wound up having a son and wanted to be available and there and present for him. And it was kind her choice to have an enriching you know, a full career, but also a full uh, experience of motherhood were, it was, it was difficult. It was sort of mutually exclusive. And so for the last 15, 20 years, she's kind of been doing a lot of stage and a lot of legit and a lot of smaller films because the, the time commitment and the, what happens when you're in these bigger studio movies and being away from your families for a long time just didn't fit the structure of what she wanted in her life. So in the last, I would say, maybe five years, she's been doing a lot of independent films. Um, and a lot of them have been doing the festival circuit and, and doing well. And she, she said that she really felt that she could understand the story. 
you know, I, I think, oh. I always think of it as, um, and it's very apropos to the, to the film, which incorporates the Eric Erickson life cycles and the stages in life. We, we all go through these stages, and there's bumps along the way. But if we can continue to just maintain that through line, um, there's incredible opportunities that happen in the, in, the, in the third third, if you will. It's kind of like dramatic storytelling. There's a setup, yes. which is your, the first part of your life. Then there's the conflict, which t- tends to be you know, the family and the relationship and the work. And then there's the resolution, which is this incredible thing that happens when people are nearing retirement or actually retire now that we have the blessings of living until 80 or 90 or even in some cases 100 years old yeah. there's a lot of life left to live yeah. even though our society and our culture sort of puts all these people out to pasture um they have full and rich lives and you know they they are still experiencing joy and pleasure and pain and so um right. i think karen really responded to that and and uh could resonate with it and she, she did this beautiful thing, which was um, she broke down her script because she's a method actor, and she broke it down into uh, all the sort of the phases of the transformation from the beginning of the film to the end of the film for her character, Joan. And she used the uh, um, caterpillar to butterfly uh, mm. metaphor. Mm-hmm. And it was so beautiful to see all these moments that she chose, like where it went to chrysalis and then when it you know, actually started to pulpate and then when it actually became a butterfly. And after we had this sort of you know, marathon conversation about where her character would be at any point in the script, which we kind of had to do because we only had 22 days to shoot it and we were bouncing around a lot, we counted them up. And she actually counted out eight phases. Oh, and Eric Erickson's life cycle, there's eight life cycle you know granted his wife joan who our character joan anderson meets on cape cod ultimately added a ninth life cycle but i just found it so that was that was for me that was the stamp of approval that i'd done my job in the development of the script as a writer because i had i had literally tried to grid out and map out the film subconsciously for the audience right not consciously but subconsciously the experience of the life cycles um and let's see, so Esipate the Murkison has got to be one of the funniest uh, human beings and most comedic actors I've ever come across, yet nobody really sees that side of her, you know, because she was this tough nut son, yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Van Buren of yeah. Law and Order for 17 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yannick Besson is, is an incredibly uh, technical um, actor, amazingly, uh, it's like hitting his marks and... and like literally making sure that he had the same amount of eggs on his fork, you know, for every take. It was just, it was like watching Memorex. Like he just recorded every single thing that he did. And it was just, it was so natural and so real. Let me, let me just, um, Alexander, let me just inject. He looked, yeah. he, he's one of those guys that, that makes it look too easy. When I was yeah. watching him on film, I mean, he, he's almost yeah. too relaxed. I mean, I don't mean yeah. that as a criticism. I just mean, yeah. is that is that a fair way to, to assess it? It is. And, and, and what's interesting is, I think what I think what throws a lot of people initially as they start to watch the film is it really feels real. It, it, it's almost like they think there's something wrong because the actors aren't acting. But what they... It, it, the, the pleasure of watching this movie is you start to realize that this is really the highest level of acting because it is all so seamless and all so effortless. The, the, the performances, 
there's nothing forced or phony or unnatural, and they're all driven internally as characters, but also as these brilliant performers. So there's a lot of what's happening in between the words. There's a lot of what's happening in the subtleties, in the body language, you know, in the eyes. And we were blessed on tape because we were off season. We had a lot of local support. And, and one of the people that supported us were the owners of Anchorage Cove. And they gave us five cottages on the water. Oh, nice. And each of our actors got a cottage. Oh. And we brought them out for a week before we started to shoot just so they could defrag and decompress and sort of get into the Cape mindset. And all of them said, you know, this was an incredible experience because normally they're put into some you know, hotel or motel and they're isolated from each other and they can't hang out and they can't relax and they can't breathe. And it's just push, 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 especially on an independent film. We did everything within our power to give them time and you know, to feed them <laughs> and yeah. to pamper them and to make sure that they could really just sort of slow down. Because I, I think one of the things that was different about this film probably came from the fact that I am a musician and, and I tend, you know, in the past I've always worked with other musicians and I've conducted orchestras. People say, you know, what was it like directing a movie for the first time? And my response is, it's no different than conducting an orchestra. Mm -hmm. In this case, I was just conducting a crew and conducting actors and tempo and beat, you know, and cadence, as you said earlier, that was what it was all about for me. Mm -hmm. I would just be waiting until it felt right. And if the, it didn't feel right to the actors, we would, we would stop and we would pause and we would adjust and we would we'd make sure that it just always felt right and it was in keeping with the tempo and the overall sort of you know cadence of the film but i mean all about me that you brought up um uh you know celia emery as well i mean her she's so pixie and 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 and, and energetic and delightful uh she, she's a dancer herself in real life and the character that she plays um was this sort of free-spirited hippie-ish woman and she just you know lights up the screen you know she she, she literally just has has all this sort of physicality that's going on all the time because she's just sort of, she's very charged. She's like an, you know, a very high speed oscillating electron or something. <laughs> um, and yeah. it, it's just, it's, for me, it's a real pleasure to just stand back uh, on set. It was, and now that the film is done, just watching them do what they do best, which is, I, I always say this, it's, it's as though they allowed the characters to embody them yeah. as opposed to trying to embody the character. Well, you're, as you're describing it, this is kind of what I would have imagined the set to be like, which you just said based on what I, what I saw in the film. It just feels mm -hmm. like it was, a, it, was, um, it was, they did feel very comfortable. I mean, mm -hmm. the, everything you described is, is exactly, you know, what I would have imagined from watching the movie. Um, I do want to. You mentioned screenplay. You know, you've won mm. some awards. The film has won. Uh, mm. Year by the Sea has won a number of awards, including mm -hmm. two for best screenplay at the uh, Rhode Island International Film Festival, as well as our our own here, right here, right around the corner, Newport Beach Film Festival. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. uh, have won. Uh, your actors won for a number of ensemble pieces, as well as as well as. Karen Allen, uh, it's, it's won a ton of awards. So you were describing as the reactions from the audiences around 
the, the film festival circuit, it's obviously done well. But there's one particular award that one I want to ask you about at the Hamilton mm. Film Festival, one for best mm. music. Um, mm. Now, just to kind of putting on your hat as a as a as a composer musician. Uh, did you occasionally want to curse out the director of this film for, for oh, yeah. any? any... <laughs> it, you know, it's so funny. People ask this question all the time. They're like, you know, what was it like to be the writer, director, and composer? And, and my response <laughs> is a nightmare. It's, it's schizophrenia. I mean, th- there's the there's the blessing of having the the composer in the room with the writer in the room with the director in the room. Sure. But at the same time, I literally reached a moment specifically with music where the director me had to tell the composer me to throw out half of his score okay. because the first version that I wrote was telegraphing too much because I knew too much about the story and I wasn't approaching it from a fresh you know, point of view. And that was really difficult to, 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 to really sort of take a strong stance and say, no, you can't just phone this one in. No, you can't take this easy. You're going to have to do just like you'd have to do if you were working for another director and pay heed to that master. And, um, you know, I, 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 the, the, the luxury for sure of knowing from the beginning that I was going to be the composer, because honestly, that's the only thing that I started out to do. I, I was seeking a project that I would love to score. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of evolved into, well, okay, I guess I'm going to have to find that and then I'm going to have to develop that and I didn't have any money for a writer so I decided to write the script and then <laughs> you know we couldn't get a director attached so by the time we were right on the cusp of getting our cast and our financing everybody was like well maybe you should just direct the movie but I never set out to direct it I didn't really think I'd probably write it I thought I would you know just develop it with somebody yeah, partnership yeah, yeah. So, uh. so but but the blessing of being the writer but having the composer in the room with the writer was that I was able to do something that a lot of films can't do, and that is choose the, the tone of the score and of the songs as part of the writing process. And even the songs that we chose, I mean, obviously I, there are three components of, of you know, music and movies, and I wrote the underscore, but then the songs that I chose, and then we ultimately produced a... Um, an original uh, song for the film too, but the songs from the Weepies and Mary Black and Lorena McKinnon that I chose, also because lyrically they continue to tell the story mm-hmm. during a lot of the montage sequences, yeah. and I think that's what the film festival in Hamilton picked up on, and a lot of people don't because they say if you've done your job right as a film composer, nobody notices. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to be the invisible, you know, person in the room in the same way that this, the, the camera moves are supposed to be invisible and the performances are supposed to be invisible. They, they say anything that breaks the suspension of disbelief, if there's bad lighting, if there's bad cinematography, if there's bad performance, if there's bad, you know, music, if it, if it breaks that, you know, beautiful thing that happens in the movies when the lights go down and you kind of are transported, you know, to this other world, this other place. If you are brought back to reality or brought back to you know the present day or whatever it is, you know if you if you start worrying about the babysitter or you start worrying about the report <laughs> that you didn't finish, you're gonna have to hand in in the morning. Like if your mind you know, wanders, something went wrong. Yeah. And 
So a lot of people at the end of seeing the film are, they, they, they try to understand how it all worked because like they felt something, but they don't know why. You know, they, they can identify the performances and they can, they, can, they can connect with the actors and they can see when they're emoting. But there's so much else that's going on with the, with the music and the underscore that's supporting that in a very subtle and quiet way. Also because, to Orson Welles' uh, quote, the enemy of art is the absence of limitations, we didn't have a lot of time, we didn't have a lot of money. Right. I didn't have an orchestra at my disposal. Right. It's a very minimalist score. Um, so it's, again, it's a quiet film designed to just sort of coddle, right, the yes. viewer and yes. put them in a place and allow them to just kind of be. Yes. It, 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 it's, it's not supposed to challenge. <laughs> I mean, it, I would hope that it provokes a dialogue and it provokes reflection, but it's, it's not designed to be this aggressively provocative uh, two hours. And that's exactly yeah. I think you're absolutely spot on. Uh, so that was my my sense of it as well. I want to let our listeners know that they can find out more about the film by going to www. Do I still have to say that www. dot com, and um, you can find out more about it as we were talking about earlier. It is opening here on the September fifteenth uh, here in Los Angeles at the um, Lemley Royal at the mm -hmm. Pasadena and then the, the Lemley Town Center in Encino and then the Pasadena Playhouse in Pasadena. So those three theaters and be looking for it. You can go to the, the website and find out, you know, more about the film and, and the where it's going to be playing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the last minute or so that I have with you, you're, you've made a transition. I know you've written some, you know, one-act plays. You've been a writer for something other than than music and mm. this transition i mean you know moving forward um the obviously the affirmation that the film has received uh what is uh do you want to continue to do you want to wear two hats you want to wear three hats as you move <laughs> forward uh, um well, uh, what know, do you what do you what do you think it's you know it, it's i i actually have discovered that i i love writing i mean i i always loved storytelling um but more than anything else i what i discovered in the process of doing year by the sea is that i am wired i'm designed i'm meant to create and that's what fulfills and satisfies me on a daily basis and if i'm not writing music if i'm not writing words if i'm not working with musicians or working with actors i have to be creating and it could be you know building a, a, a house it could be mm -hmm. um, you know a, any anything that basically starts with nothing a blank page and then by the end of the process there's something and you know I, I would be it, it would be um, dishonest to say you know I, I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> to go make my next film um, simply from this standpoint of it's exhausting to be an independent filmmaker. Mm -hmm. This has been a nine-year process uh, from when the book found me to where we are now. So, yes, I would love to do it again. I just would love to do it with some support. It, you know, this was completely independently financed. It was completely independently now distributed. 
Um, it has been the core team from the get-go. Just uh, we, we say that we're the little clam that can. We just haven't <laughs> given up. Um, but it would be nice to have to have some support. And so hopefully, you know, if the audiences show up and if they enjoy the film and if they spread the word and the viral word of mouth builds and we can expand from New York and L.A. to select cities and then kind of platform it out. We have the material. There could definitely be a sequel. Um, and I've got, as you pointed out, I mean, I've got lots of scripts in development mm-hmm. and even some television uh, storyline and ideas. So, Fantastic. yeah, I, I, I would love to continue creating and love to continue making um, uh, films. But I think that the jury's, I guess, out on does the audience want them from me? <laughs> okay, well, we'll, we will see. And, uh, I mean, I, I know I hear all the time from uh, indie film directors and producers and writers, et cetera, that, you know, being able to produce a, a good film on 22 days of shooting and, mm-hmm. you know, not a, not a lot of money otherwise and getting in a... That is, uh, that's a great training ground for future work, and I, as, a, yeah. as a testament to the people who have been on the show, uh, you know, Damien Giselle was on for his first film, uh, uh, Barry Jenkins uh. was on for his first film, Ava DuVernay was here for her first film. Uh, oh, that's great. Colin uh, Trevorrow, wow. you know, and, 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 yeah. and I think what people who are making films, producers who are making films recognize in independent filmmakers is it's... It's it's easier to to make a CGI, you know, and make mm. it work mm. and make it spectacular mm. and fireworks and all the rest mm. of it. It's mm. a lot harder mm. to develop characters that people care about in the, in the process right. of a an hour and, and a half or two hour film. It, and if mm-hmm. you if you master that, uh, that goes a long ways because you can add in the 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 the, uh, the CGI's and you and all the rest of it. Yeah, as you need to, but and until yeah. you've made films that with characters that we can understand and connect to and feel for, uh, you haven't right. really become a filmmaker, in my opinion. So um, yeah, there you go. Well, thank you. That that that's an incredible, <laughs> incredible crowd to be a part of. I, I have no idea how I got so lucky to be on. Oh, show, no, but, uh, thank uh, you, really thank you for that. But it's just. Uh, I just really to recognize uh, filmmakers is is important that they they're doing what what storytelling is really about, which is the human experience mm. how and how it relates on all sorts of levels and all kinds of different situations. And this is what uh, Year by the Sea does very well. And uh, congratulations to you, Alexander Janko, as a writer, director, and composer. And uh, once again, remind our listeners you can this film is opening here in Los Angeles. September 15th, and uh, we, you can go in to the film to see it at the Lemley Royal or at the Encino Town Center uh, or at the Pasadena Playhouse and, and and coming up and beyond, hopefully, beyond that. Alexander, thank you very, very much for, for your, your time and for your, um, for your uh, generosity in spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Appreciate it. And hope to see everybody at the movies. Yes. Yes, as well. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.